Will the diplomatic probes be successful? We can only hope... I regret to report that all diplomatic avenues with the Kilrathi have been exhausted. It is now clear they have no interest in coexisting with us or any other race. It is my sad duty to inform you that as of 6 a.m. this morning, we are formally at war with the Kilrathi. God help us all. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Wing Commander. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. The most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Hosted by Arnie. If I'm locked on, there's no such thing as a base of action. Justin. You got fools. You should see him. Mine are bigger. Now, I've been told size doesn't matter. She lied. And Stuart. He really is a good guy once you get to know him. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. I love it when you talk dirty. Listener discretion is advised. That ain't no thing. We'll just do it together, okay? Today we're discussing Wing Commander. Starring Freddie Prince Jr., Saffron Burroughs, Matthew Lillard, Checky Caro, Jurgen Prochnow. Directed by Chris Roberts. This is Arnie, host of Now Playing, but you can call me by my call sign, Ace. And Stuart. And this is Justin, and you can ride my tail. Oh, wait, that's the wrong movie. <laughs> Not really. This movie was sold as Starship Troopers meets Top Gun. Mission accomplished. Starship Troopers? Or Star Wars. Because, Arnie, you are the Star Wars fan that you were, when Wing Commander came out as a video game, I thought they were Star Wars games. I thought that's why you were playing them so much. (laughs) Star Wars ripped it off. There are some great Star Wars games called X-Wing and TIE Fighter. And I do not include X-Wing versus TIE Fighter or any of that other stuff after it. But X-Wing and TIE Fighter were amazing games. They were games that made me a computer gamer. They were games that made me go out and buy a joystick and a sound card and a CD-ROM back when you had to buy all those things individually. Yes, kids, for those who don't know, you used to buy a computer and it wouldn't play music or sound. You then had to go spend an extra $150 to put in a Sound Blaster 16 card, and then you could hook up speakers to it. (laughs) Arnie, you're OG PC Master Race. (laughs) (laughs) And I did all that for X-Wing and TIE Fighter. Well, I got a CD-ROM with my Christmas money. Every year, my mom gives us just money for Christmas because she doesn't know what to buy us. And I'm like, I finally have the money for a CD-ROM. And I asked my friend who worked at Best Buy, what game should I get? He's like, you need to get this Wing Commander collection. It's Wing Commander 1, 2, and all the expansion packs with upgraded graphics on CD-ROM. I'm like, I don't know about this Wing Commander. Oh, you need to get it. You need to get it. It's the best. And sure enough, it is. X-Wing and TIE Fighter ripped this game off. That's actually what most of the Star Wars games did in the 90s. They're like, ooh, Doom sold well. Let's put a Star Wars skin on it and call it Dark Forces. Or, oh, look, Wing Commander's doing really well. Let's put a skin on it and call it TIE Fighter. So it is very much a Star Wars-y game. 
but it's in its own universe developed by Chris Roberts, who was in his 20s, a computer programmer and a major Star Wars fan who saw A New Hope in its first theatrical run, became obsessed with it. And when he was creating a video game, it actually helped him to rip off Star Wars because video games do better if they remind you of movies. And so in 1990, when he came out with Wing Commander... The entire game, and I showed you a little of it, Stuart, but it's a flight simulator. So what I showed you, it was ported to Nintendo. The controls were crap, but I was using a flight stick back in the day and fighting the Kilrathi. And in addition to just being a fun space flight simulator like X-Wing and TIE Fighter were, where you had to balance your shields and complete your missions, it had... A couple things that they never replicated properly in X-Wing or TIE Fighter. The first was Chris Roberts developed several storylines for this war against the Kilrathi, which is a race of cat people. Every so often in the early games, you'd see them and they did look just like felines. In the later games, they made them a little bit more lion-ish. Almost Wookiee-ish. Yeah. You played the games, Justin? No, but I'm kind of with Stuart. Like, it always kind of was in my peripheral because it did have so much of a Star Wars feel to it that I was never sure if it was Star Wars related or not. But yeah, like, some of the visuals I remember. So Star Wars, 1994, I remember going to Sam's Club with a friend of mine to buy the exclusive edition of Wing Commander 3, Heart of the Tiger. It came in a film reel container. Why would a video game on CD come in a film reel container? Because it was a movie and a flight sim. It was starring Mark Hamill... As the main character from the first two games, Chris Blair was his name. In the first two, you could name him whatever you wanted. You mean the guy that played Trickster on The Flash? It's hard to believe these days. He just got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's in demand. He's considered a hot property again. But in the 90s, Mark Hamill was kind of not doing so hot. (laughs) And then Malcolm McDowell, who also, I mean, Firestarter 2, but, you know, Malcolm McDowell. Tank Girl, sure. John Rhys Davies, Tom Wilson, Biff from Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. I think there was some curiosity for actors of a certain type to explore video games. Everyone heard it was the future so that you were going to act in a game. It sounded edgy, revolutionary. I could see certain people being drawn to that. And yes, some people will do anything. And, of course, there was porn star Ginger Lynn Allen also in here as one of the love interests. But what I loved about the Wing Commander games even before this was there was a storyline where you could lose a mission and still play. It just, all of a sudden, the war took a turn for the worse, but you could still find a path to victory. And which person you went out with as your wingman really mattered because they all had different AI. And Maniac, he was truly insane. He was like cracking up from the pressure and he would do really stupid shit that would get you killed. (laughs) So I really got into these characters. They mixed them up a little bit. It was Biff from Back to the Future playing Maniac as just more of a petulant jerk in the Mark Hamill games. But they had a $3 million filming budget to get all these people together, film against green screen and have a movie That was then punctuated with you hopping in the cockpit and having fights. And it was the first time I wasn't very good. They changed the engine for Wing Commander 3. I actually just had a friend come over all the time and play so I could watch the movie in between the missions. Because there was no YouTube where I could just go see all the cutscenes. 
And then Wing Commander 4 came out, and it was even more of a movie. It was almost entirely story-based. The missions actually felt like an afterthought. Oh yeah, every so often we have to have a flight sim in this movie. And it had an $8 million filming budget. And so Chris Roberts, game designer, felt that he was Chris Roberts' director and started shopping around Wing Commander the movie. And it wasn't that unheard of. Wing Commander, I was reading the novels in the 90s. There was an entire expanded universe of novels, mm. which then degraded down into novelizations of games. It's hard to believe, but they actually novelized games. I don't <laughs> get it. I read some of them. The Gabriel Knight games I loved, so I read the books, and I'm like, yeah, I played that. And then they novelized Wing Commander 3 and 4, and I'm like, yeah, I watched that. He slowly rolled his thumb over the D-pad and pressed the A button. <laughs> <laughs> Wing Commander also had an animated series in 1996 on USA. I have watched it back in the day. I rewatched it for this review. It's great. Great. It has Mark Hamill and all of the cast from the video game doing voices, and it's like they're kind of retconning. It's retelling the events of Wing Commander 1 and 2, but in a way that fits better with Part 3 when they started changing things up a little. I watched it again, and I didn't have much memory of watching it on USA. I thought I was going to be in for 13 episodes of, like, G.I. Joe, where everybody's ejecting from their fighter as they fight. This thing had an arc. It had death. It had mourning of characters. It had some good guys who were turning evil and foreshadowing things that would happen in the game. That series is really actually solid. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but I ended up rewatching every single episode. Wow. And I uncovered a strange Easter egg. Remember I also watched that Street Fighter animated series? Yeah. Yeah. Well, something happened in this Wing Commander series that made me get online to figure out what the hell's going on. Because Michael Dorn appeared in one of the episodes of Wing Commander, or voiced, a weird space Viking. And I remembered from Street Fighter, Michael Dorn voicing a weird space Viking. Yeah. It turned out... <laughs> And nobody's quite sure what happened. There was a USA Network action cartoon block, and it consisted of Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Wing Commander, so three cartoons based on video games, mm -hmm. and then Savage Dragon. One of these things is not like the other. Okay. <laughs> All four cartoons were done by different animation studios. All four properties were owned by different entities, but USA somehow got them to do a stealth crossover and they never publicized it possibly because the parent companies might get mad or something but they got michael dorn to play this space viking in all four series in a weird crossover that follows the space viking story <laughs> are you gonna have him sign all your copies of <laughs> wing commander well, it's only the animated series, but that was the strangest episode of the series. Did I find the right screenshot here? Did he kind of look like Thor met, meets He-Man? Yes, he very <laughs> much looked like He-Man. <laughs> it's a strange one, but yeah, the series, it's better than what we're going to talk about. Okay, so my question, my first of many, is there's a whole mythology that's built up over seven games as they're approaching to make it into a movie. And rather than start over and tell the story again, they're just going to create a new chapter to that, that there's already... In order to understand this movie, you need to have watched 
a cartoon, read a hundred books, and played all the video games? No, this is a reboot. Okay. This is basically redoing Wing Commander 1, where at the very beginning of Wing Commander 1, you're this new pilot on the Tiger's Claw Cruiser, and you go out and fight missions. And later on, the pilot you have played is revealed to be Chris Blair, played by Freddie Prince Jr. here. They actually gave him the very uncreative call sign of Maverick. I mm. wonder where they got that. Mm. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have a goose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure they didn't. Yeah, they had a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, they logically decided to start over. I mean, in the first Wing Commander game, you're dropped into the middle of the war, just like Star Wars. You never see the first shots fired in the war. But Wing Commander the movie, coming out in 1999. Now, the movie I was most excited for in 1999 was The Phantom Menace. But I honestly thought Wing Commander could be better. And I was certainly thinking both of them would be better than that Matrix piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, 1999, big year for sci-fi. The prequels begin, The Matrix, Iron Giant, Galaxy Quest. And this is the one you're most excited about, or at least as excited about as Star Wars. Well, I teased that this movie changed my life, and I am not lying. Let me tell you about this. So, Stuart, you've known me for a long time. Sure. When I went into college, I was interested in being a television or filmmaker, primarily a writer. I was an English major. I was a communications major. I took TV production classes, film classes. When I got out of school, I could get a job in TV or radio or get a better job with computers that I was good at, so I took a computer job. And I just worked it, played games, as I've talked about, where I could just be at work and play Duke Nukem all the time. Well, I was following Chris Roberts' career, and Chris Roberts was a game designer. Games were becoming more full-motion video, more actors were getting in on them. Phantasmagoria is one of my all-time favorite FMV games. Go find that and play that if you want a good horror game. The first one, not the second one. And then Chris Roberts is now directing film. And I'm looking at John Romero from Doom, and he was talking about making films. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Game designers are the next auteurs. I'm going to go to school and get a programming degree to backdoor my way into Hollywood. I'm going to become a game designer, and then I'm going to make films based on my games. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went back to school and got a master's degree in computer science with my eye on Hollywood via computer game, thinking, in a worst-case scenario, I'm still making games, and that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and oddly enough, that's not the craziest of plans. No. Hollywood is ready to embrace whoever is hip. And yeah, games were hip in the 90s. Rappers were hip in the 90s. They were giving films to a lot of people that weren't tried and true, come up from film school kind of auteurs. So yeah, it makes sense that they'd be willing to give the people that made a lot of money making video games a shot at making a lot of money making movies. But the driving force behind this was Chris Roberts. After the success of Wing Commander 3, I mean, this game was selling millions of copies. It was one of the highest selling PC CD-ROM games of all time. He decided he wanted to be in Hollywood. He just wrote a spec script, started shopping it around, and it ended up in the hands of Todd Moyer, producer of such films as The Mask and Barbed Wire. Okay. And at the time, there was not a lot of information about this movie. In fact... This movie came out, and it shocked me. I'm like, this movie's coming out now? With no fanfare? 
they never even made a theatrical trailer for this movie. Wow. <laughs> it's so sad, but the less you see, the more likely you are to watch it. Yeah, I think the fans need to go skidding in with the hope and knowledge from the video games rather than see what they put together for celluloid here. So we'll talk about some of the budgetary constraints and issues Roberts had when we go through the film, but... Before this movie came out, Roberts went back and said, listen, some things went bad during the production. Can I have a little bit more time and a little bit more money? And Fox said no. And here's exactly what they told him in summation. We have already made a profit on this movie. If it makes nothing at the box office, we have made a profit because we've spent $24 million and we've made more than that on video and TV deals. If we give you more money, we might not make a profit, so we're done. Ouch. <laughs> I often, and I think most people, look at success of a motion picture based upon how it does at the box office. This movie was a success for Fox before it ever made a dollar. Anything at the box office was gravy. Which is so strange to me because I would say that one of the things that always kept me from digging too close and figuring out exactly what Wing Commander was is just the generic nature of its name. It tells me nothing. Wing Commander. That could be set anywhere, anytime, as long as you're dealing with something that flies. Yeah. In fact, it was a sister game to Strike Commander, which was an Earth-based flight sim in modern day. I mean, either one could have gone either way. <laughs> Those words are poison to me. You say flight simulator, and I'm running as far away from the console as I can. I just, I've never liked them from Chuck Yeager on. I just, they're boring to me. They're too technical, and I just, I never want to play them. And so... Fox told Moyer. Moyer was there, and he's like, listen, we should give this movie more money and more time. Fox said, if you can find somebody who will pay us $2 million more than we've paid for it, we'll let them have it. But we need a $2 million profit. And Moyer found someone to do it. And he was literally sitting down to sign the contracts when an exec from Fox called and said, don't sign those papers. The movie's coming out in six weeks. And Moyer's like, but you told me if I made you the money. He's like, I don't care what I told you. It's not happening. The movie's coming out in six weeks. We're going to put the Phantom Menace's second trailer in front of it. That's all this movie needs. And it's on. <laughs> <laughs> so they needed a space movie to come out to pimp the Phantom Menace trailer. So the money this movie made at the box office, it is actually documented that... Of its $11.6 million at the box office, a lot of people bought tickets to see the Phantom Menace trailer and then left before the Freddie Prinze movie. Oh, boy. But not you. Not me. I was there for this movie. Let me give you guys a little bit of backstory on what happened that I've only recently come to light. It was unknown forever what really went on behind the scenes, but... Around 2010, a book came out where Todd Moyer spilled everything, and then Chris Roberts went public with his stories. Okay. You mean the accusations, why this is so terrible? Yes. Okay. So Moyer had come from Dark Horse Comics, where he was used to exploiting properties with the Alien versus Predator comics and all the other stuff that Dark Horse did. Great movies. Yep. And again, <laughs> The Mask and Barbed Wire. Terrific. Love them. Well, you do love Alien. <laughs> they had nothing to do with that. Well, I just said he did the Alien comics. Okay. And so he started shopping around. He was telling people it's Starship Troopers meets Top Gun. Chris Roberts, though, was calling it Das Boot in Space. Mm-hmm. They went to 20th Century Fox and got just enough money for a guaranteed distribution. 
But Fox had some demands, and I suspected this before I even knew it. Fox said, we'll give you the money for distribution, but you got to get this Matthew Lillard and this Freddie Prinze. They're really hot right now. Mm, Shaggy and and Fred? This was before Scooby-Doo, thank you, but (laughs) after she's all all that. Which I never saw. I We were too old to see it, but you probably love it, right? I did see it when it was new, yes. I have no problem with that. And Matthew Lillard, Scream and Hackers, I was a Matthew Lillard fan. Wow. I'm only partially surprised that Seth Green isn't in this. I can honestly say, I didn't think I had seen any Freddie Prince Jr. And then I do remember, I did see I Know What You Did, but I don't remember what they did last summer. I mean, Freddie Prince and Matthew Lillard were like the Corey and Corey at the turn of the millennium. They did five movies together. She's All That was the first. This was only the second of five. Then Summer Catch, Unwatchable, and the two Scooby-Doo's. Yeah. When you're emulating the Corys, that's a problem. But... Matthew Lillard, again, ever since he was in Hackers, I've been open to seeing Matthew Lillard in stuff. He is a quirky character actor who can bring something different to a role. Were they the right fit? Like, in your mind, you were like, yeah, he'd be perfect for Maniac? No, not at all. I'm like, these are totally wrong. Why don't you just get Mark Hamill? You'd be better off. Yeah, seriously. But... According to Chris Roberts, they were too old. Freddie Prince, you hadn't seen him. I knew him from the I Know What You Did Last Summer movie. That was where I first got to know him. And then I had seen She's All That. He was a heartthrob by this time already, though. I mean, I feel like he was in the pages of Teen Beat Magazine before he would show up on our radar. Which usually, like, tainted my opinion. Like, well, then you don't want to see that movie, right? Oh, yeah. I thought that this wasn't the casting I would have done. But, hey, in Chris Roberts, I trusted. But when I was coming to this review, I suspected Fox mandated this. And it turns out they did. Sure. And Todd Moyer did some crazy investment scheme that he gathered $25 million from various governments and investors, including some money Chris Roberts put up himself. Todd Moyer said basically Chris Roberts bought his way with his fortune from games into becoming a Hollywood director. Mm-hmm. And the government of Luxembourg put up some money (laughs) because this was filmed there. And according to the producer, this may only have a $25 million budget, but if this was the U.S., it would be a $50 million film. Okay. And Chris Roberts also, at this time, was starting his own effects company, doing digital effects. Mm. This was very cutting edge. He was Mm. honestly up there with Lucas competing. Mm. (laughs) really because i'm like some of these shots i'm like is that a screensaver or is that really supposed to be space (laughs) there were no flying toasters here okay digital anvil was his effects house and so he was having them do the work for a much reduced rate Mm, i hope it was for charity i mean jesus (laughs) and todd moyer was also heavily involved in the casting because he knew global distribution was needed for a profit. And he also knew Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard meant nothing in Germany or France. And so that's why we have Proshnow and Cario and all these various foreign people is specifically to engage the international audience and try to get some money. Hmm. It's really funny because I found the electronic press kit from this movie. And it's real fun to see Freddie Prince Jr. sit there looking at the camera going, you know, 
Moyer and Roberts are like brothers. They just really support each other. And then to read 10 years later how Moyer's like, yeah, that script was bad and it just got a little better before it went to shooting. And Roberts talking about how if he'd had a better producer being a first-time director, he wouldn't have made some of these mistakes and Moyer left him out to dry. But did he ever work again? Did Chris Roberts make another film? Chris Roberts is actually now a fairly successful film producer. Okay. He did Lucky Number Slevin. All right. Didn't see it, but I've heard of it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. He also did the Nick Cage film Lord of War. Okay. The 2004 The Punisher. Uh-huh. And he ended up directing some TV series and producing some TV series. He did transition to a working Hollywood career, which is success. If you are working in Hollywood, that is success. Absolutely. I mean, that's one form of success. I mean, you don't have to be the 1%. If you're not waiting tables, you have made it. If you are actively producing films that we have heard of, and you're not begging me to review, like, Zombievers, then it's <laughs> a success in my mind. So he did walk away from this. Yeah, sure. He's not setting the, the world on fire, but he, he's making a living. He's making more than any of us on the recording. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> and is he making any more Wing Commander, or was this the end of the whole shebang? This wasn't the end, but video games changed. They got more expensive. The later games he was not involved in because he was in Hollywood. And then this movie did taint the property, I do believe. I mean, I think the thing that I knew about this movie was that it was the least impressive science fiction film of 1999 and had the box office to reflect it. But it is also the first film to have bullet time. Take that, Matrix. (laughs) It's a landmark. It's life-changing. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We'll get through Wing Commander. In the 27th century, mankind has spread out from Earth and explored the far reaches of space. There is now a galactic government for humans called the Terran Confederation. Not the Federation, because otherwise Paramount's going to sue for Star Trek. Space was primarily explored by pilgrims with tremendous navigation capabilities. But the pilgrims turned evil or stoic or something... (laughs) and attacked the humans in a major war. The pilgrims were defeated, and many Terrans have an absolute hatred for any remaining pilgrims. Without the pilgrims, humans had to turn to technology to navigate the stars, using special jump computers to travel between points light years apart. However, in the depths of space, the Terrans encountered a warrior cat-like race, the Kilrathi. The Kilrathi want only to kill humans, so we are at war. Imagine that. (laughs) Is peace even possible if kill is in your name? (laughs) I don't know. The way they look, I thought that they might just be subdued with a ball of yarn. Yeah, they look like the Kiss Rathy. I mean, like, can I have a cheeseburger? (laughs) I can have Wing Commander. Well, that's all before this movie starts. Mm. In this movie, the year's 2654, and the Kilrathi have boarded a Terran ship and stolen one of the navigation computers, and with it, the warriors learn how to travel to Earth. The Kilrathi are en route, and the Terran fleet won't be there to fight back until two hours after the Kilrathi arrive and start bombarding the planet. Terran Confederation Admiral Tolwyn, played by David Warner, almost Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell was asked to come back. He was the only person asked to reprise the role, but he was filming Fantasy Island. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Remember when he was doing Fantasy Island? Yeah, the reboot. Yeah. Sure. I watched every episode. Wow. <laughs> but here it's played by David Warner, wants to call on the only space carrier in range, the Tiger Claw. To do this, he gives an order to half-pilgrim, half-human pilot Chris Blair, played by Freddie Prinze Jr. Who would, I mean, if you're half-pilgrim, doesn't he at least need to wear a bonnet? <laughs> <laughs> the Admiral fought with Blair's human father in the Pilgrim War. So Blair's human father slept with a Pilgrim woman, had a child, and then went and killed Pilgrims in the war. I'm confused at this point. Pilgrims are just people who <laughs> left Earth, right? They're not a different race. No, they're a different race. No, they evolved differently when they left Earth. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Can it help if I say none of the Pilgrim stuff was ever in any game? <laughs> yeah, I suspected as much. Blair goes to the Tiger's Claw with his friend Todd Marshall, codenamed Maniac, played by Matthew Lillard, and Fleet Intelligence Agent Commodore James Taggart, codenamed Paladin, played by Checky Cairo. On the Tiger's Claw, Blair faces lots of bigotry from Pilgrim haters, but he also finds romance with Wing Commander Lieutenant Jeanette Devereaux, codenamed Angel, played by Saffron Burroughs, the same year as Deep Blue Sea. You would call that romance? Yeah, they kiss at the end. I guess they do. And Maniac finds love with a pilot as crazy as he is, Rosie Forbes, but his antics get her killed and he's heartbroken. <laughs> Duh. Marines from the Tiger's Claw board a Kilrathi communication ship and discover the coordinates where the attacking fleet will arrive near Earth. But the Tiger's Claw is damaged and cannot get to Earth in time to warn the people there, so they send Blair with his half-pilgrim magical navigation powers to Earth to send the message. And no, it doesn't make any more sense when you watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but please, finish up. He's really good at the 10-key. You know, if you ever take a temp job, you have to show your 10-key skill. Pilgrims are great at that. <laughs> He sends the message, but runs out of fuel and finds himself under fire from a Kelrathi cruiser, but Blair's superior pilgrim piloting skills allow him to trick the Kelrathi into flying too close to a gravity anomaly, destroying the attacker before they can harm Earth. Blair is rescued and taken back to the Tiger's Claw, where he kisses Devereaux as credits roll. So there you go. You've got this movie. I'll say this. When I went into this movie coming from the game designer. And I think, you know, Stuart, you're interested in how movies influenced games and vice versa. This is the first time in history a video game creator made a studio distributed film. Right. And so you'd think, I know the games, I know what he's done with the full motion video. I walk into this movie, I'm like, Pilgrims? Wait, what the hell? Where are the ships I know? This is nothing. Like, the games I played almost at all. Really? Because, I mean, I only spent about five minutes with this. And like I said, you say Flight Simulator, and it, I'm just repulsed. But you showed me some stuff. It looked like some of the ship design, at least for the enemy ships. The enemy ships were a little bit close, and some of the capital ships, the aircraft carrier-type ships, looked a little close. But what happened was, when he was making a video game, Chris Roberts said... It's good to have a little bit of Star Wars flavor because it's going to attract people to your video game. But when making a movie, knowing the prequels are coming, he actually, they were so proud of this on that electronic press kit, they couldn't stop talking about having the production designer from Titanic there. And he took up a lot of their money. 
And they said, we want to go old World War One type thing. We want to get away from the Star Wars vibe. We want to feel like old biplanes and things. So the ship designs are totally different. The Kilrathi designs are totally different. Mm. Some of the names are the same. This whole Pilgrim storyline, there was none of that. Because in a video game... The story's about me. When I played Wing Commander 1 or 2, I entered my name and my call sign Ace and kept going. When we got to Mark Hamill as me, we found out the name was Chris Blair, but it was still my call sign of Ace until I started reading the books and this movie where he was called Maverick. But it's all about me. Here, now they have to give this pilot a little bit more, I guess, backstory than they gave Mark Hamill, because Mark Hamill's backstory was in the first two games, and you just knew it. And so they come up with this whole Pilgrim Second War thing. It's really muddy. They're looking for something mystical to bring in here without conjuring the Force. You know, right off the bat, just visually, this movie, you can tell, like you said, the game wanted to draw from Star Wars. The movie wanted to maybe stay away from that a little bit, but they've drawn from every other sci-fi that's come before this. I'm seeing elements of Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek. There's nothing in any of this design right off the bat that's making me go, ooh, this is going to grab me and pull me in. Not only that, but it's just underfunded. You just, to look at it, it's paltry. This reminded me of syndicated TV from that time. Like, didn't Kevin Sorbo have Andromeda? Babylon 5, like those shows, those ones you just never would watch. They'd come on, you'd be like, ooh, this looks bad, and you just turn it real quick. The friend of mine who turned me on to Wing Commander was a huge Babylon 5 fan. There you go. Love that show. Ugh. I couldn't get into it. I watched a couple episodes, but I will say if you go and watch Babylon 5, you think this movie CGI is sad. Babylon 5 doesn't even come this close this one it may not be phantom menace level cgi ships but they're decent compared to babylon 5 no let's be clear however bad babylon 5 is i'm sure it's worse this is very bad this is not acceptable in 1999 to sit in a movie theater and watch this it is absolutely unacceptable and I was there literally opening night with bated breath, could not be more excited to see Wing Commander on a big screen. And the funding is not there. It does need more money, but only in certain instances is it lethal. This does not have a cheap feel to it. Roberts did the best he could with the money he had. I mean, most of this movie takes place on one ship, but... I never questioned that ship's veracity. I never thought the sets looked cheaper than Star Trek Voyager. I've got to go against you there. Every time we're on an interior, you can tell they're on a decommissioned battleship from World War II. I mean, they're literally renting the Queen Elizabeth. No, they're actually just in a warehouse. They built all this. <laughs> they must have deconstructed a boat to build it because... It <laughs> <laughs> And this was trendy at the time. There were a lot of sub-movies. U-571 was a big one around this time. World War II. We were in that war. We were looking at historical battles and feeling good about it. And that was coming out in our war films from the 90s. So it doesn't surprise me that they'd find inspiration from World War One, World War Two. Hell, Star Wars did the same thing. But this is just not adequate on any level unless you're on TV in the 90s. If this were Doctor Who, I buy the cat people. If it's not, then I just think that you have to get a better suit. 
You have to get a better villain. This opening where they're storming the moon base and, I mean, it's laughable. Okay. The Kilrathi. They are really bad. And this is apparently the source of a lot of frustration for Chris Roberts. What happened was he wanted to do all CGI characters for them. And Moyer's like, no, they're not going to look right. They're going to look really bad. And so Moyer said, we're going to do animatronic. And then Moyer said Chris Roberts insisted on animatronic because that worked for when they did the video game portion. There's doing a he said, he said on that. Yeah, well, yeah, you passed this hot potato because it is clearly the embarrassment of this movie. They do look like the backup band for Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) (laughs) They do look like animatronic Muppets from a low-rent family restaurant. And they had to know that in the editing room because... For the first three quarters of this movie, we don't even see the aliens. We see their ships. We see their fighters. We don't see them in person until the last part of this movie. Yeah. They're teasing it this whole time. I'm like, whatever the Kilrathi, again, killing her name. I'm thinking of something really, really badass. And when I see them, I swear, they, they're like speaking Klingon or whatever. But I'm just like, meow, 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 meow. I literally watched the movie saying that. And it made more sense than what they were saying. Okay. Well, you say they knew in editing. Well, they definitely did. And I'll talk to you about what they cut. But they knew when filming. Chris Roberts... Shit, you'd have to be blind, deaf, and dumb not to know. (laughs) He showed up to film. He had not been shown the puppets until they got there. (laughs) He showed up, and he's like, when you're directing a film, you can't just go, no, I'm not going to (laughs) roll. You can't know it's bad. So his answer was, turn off the lights and pump some green smoke into the room and let's shoot. (laughs) I mean, if he's got pilgrims, why not do some pilgrims? That would look better. Just don't even do the Kilrathi. Well, there was an entire subplot about a pilgrim human admiral who was a traitor and working with the Kilrathi because he wants the Kilrathi to destroy Earth because Earth won in the Pilgrim War, which would at least give some payoff to all this pilgrim bullshit. But because it involved a human talking to Kilrathi and more Kilrathi screen time, they cut it all because they knew. But when they were asking for more money, they were asking to go back and redo anything involving the Kilrathi. Just refilm those scenes and give those enemies something better than what they had. But other than the Kilrathi, to me, the film meets adequate. Ooh. Wow. Where's your line? If you're paying money for a ticket in a movie, that's not adequate. If you're renting this and it went straight to tape, maybe. It's got at least the same level of production values as, say, Demolition Man or Screamers. Well, that's two different levels. But you're telling me that you're okay with it then and now i'm telling you instantly i can't find it is the problem is i can never play flight simulator because i can never find the buttons but if i could find the abort button i would be mashing that mother within seconds of this film you just know it's a stinker you just know it all right you you do know it's a stinker from the beginning yeah i do like the opening credits i think that's actually pretty well done <laughs> yeah the titles are spelled correctly presumably <laughs> well, no, there's some nice maps and things that they had all right there was a part of the electronic press kit that discussed all the opening titles and it made me appreciate them more but yes when you start off and you're seeing this first invasion of a ship and the kilrathi stealing the navcom yeah it does not 
instill me with confidence. And when I see Freddie Prinze Jr. and Matthew Lillard next, it doesn't help. This thing is horribly miscast. They do not come across with any gravitas. This is supposed to be a war film. Yeah, think about Top Gun. Think about Starship Troopers. Think about when you take innocent people and show them death. Do you get any of that here? No. Mm, Not at all. There's too much jargon. What I get here, and a lot of it, an overdose of it, is that this game would be very hard to play because you've always got to be looking at a screen and talking to various people with different names. Like, I could never keep track of where we were. We're just, from the beginning, we're in the Vega fleet with Pegasus Space and Admiral Wilson, and like, I can't keep track of what is going on in this movie. It was everything. And God knows I don't want to hit the rewind button. It's like, I need to understand this, but I can't bear to watch that scene again. So we'll just keep rolling. There was a lot of that Vega Fleet HQ, Pegasus Asteroid Base, Ulysses Corridor, March 15th. It's like, all right, you're really being specific here. And everyone looks the same. All these old generals they're in these cheap-ass suits. I mean, they have one that's Scotty. They, like, beamed him aboard. And I kind of could figure him out. But everyone else, literally, this checky guy you're talking about, and later, Jurgen Prachnow, I literally, if you told me it was a cloning plot, I would have believed him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll admit, the first time I watched this, I thought Jurgen Prachnow was Paladin. <laughs> <laughs> and so this, again, and everything is about what they're doing in flying and these names and kill Rathy. We haven't seen them for much of the movie. Like I'm, It's like I'm in space floating, trying to grab anything, and I'm just falling, falling, falling further. It's just an awful feeling. Visually, they're not helping us. You're right, Stuart. There's a lot of dense sci-fi sounding names that they try to give us in little ticked off sci-fi fonts at the bottom of the screen, but without anything visually in the background to make these places seem distinct to one another, I have no sense of where we are in the galaxy. Let me see if I got this right. So they're not military. They're like just in some freighter that's just a commercial ship called the Diligent. I think that they were headed to the Tiger Claw anyway. I mean, I don't think a merchant ship just shows up at an aircraft carrier and then they're like, okay, you two, hop in some fighters and get to work. I never understand what's going on, but they make a clear distinction in the beginning that there's nothing's expected of this diligent ship because... They're not part of the Concordia, whatever, Vega, the good guys. I'm just going to boil it down. There's good guys and bad cat people, (laughs) and the good guys don't trust the merchants that are presumably trading with the cat people as well. No, nobody's trading with the Kilrathi. The Kilrathi see a human, they kill them. Huh. They might be trading with pilgrims. Mm. But are there pilgrims? I thought they were all dead except for Freddie Prince Jr., Well, Paladin turns out to be a pilgrim. Yeah, okay. So, first of all, pilgrim. Can we just agree that no one is not thinking about pumpkin pie and turkey, and it's just a terrible name if you're trying to identify a different race or a failed branch on the human evolutionary tree? Yeah, pioneers would have worked just as well, you know? I mean, yes, you say pilgrim, I do think Thanksgiving, but primarily I was thinking covered wagons and things like that. But yeah, I mean, pilgrims were, by and large, Puritans who fled England because of their racy ways and wanted to get back to something else. It's more religious than it is exploratory. 
Yeah, you bring up pilgrims, we are thinking about things that they're not trying to reference. That's my point, is that this is not a coming to America story. This is in no way referencing human history. It's the idea that we got too uppity. Like human beings went into space and they were the ones that were really good at flying around became pilgrims and they got so emotionless that they died. No, they went to war. They killed humans. Huh. Yes, we're supposed to think at this point of pilgrims as a new offshoot of humanity that is to be looked down upon. And I don't know if this is the best way to get the message across in the movie, but to have the German guy speaking poorly about the pilgrim race seemed a little off tone. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's not about skin color. It's because we never really see a pilgrim in this movie. It's difficult to know. We see half breeds. We see Freddie Prince Jr. who We find out his mother was a pilgrim. His father was a human. I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> I think they're both humans, though, except he's got the super navigation skills. Okay. Which is now genetically encoded in him. And he's wearing this cool cross that's like the pilgrim insignia. And he's not going to take it off, damn it, even though it basically brands him in the eyes of everyone he works with as a half-breed. And possibly a traitor, because there was a war. It's basically like having a North Korean on your military unit right now. And no point in any of the games that you can recall, a book, a cartoon, a toy, did they ever explore that war. Not only that I can recall, but I have validated factually it is not in anything except... The 2007 game, the last Wing Commander game, Wing Commander Arena, made an oblique reference to Pilgrims trying to retcon this movie in, but nothing Wing Commander between 1990 and 1997 when all of that stuff came out. No cartoon. There were no Pilgrims. It didn't happen. Okay, but here's the impression I'm having 10 minutes into this movie. I feel like I need to have played every game and done all of the research in order to understand what is happening because it is so dense with history and alternate races and tiger claws and what have you and everyone looks generic in the same it's so visually unimpressive there's no visual storytelling being told all of it is just being spat out in a data dump like i literally just feel like i can't follow this film and having played every single wing commander game read the books watch the cartoons I still couldn't follow this shit. Okay, good. All right. So it's just <laughs> poor storytelling is what we're really wrestling with here. <laughs> Things not properly established. Actors not given the proper motivation. We just kind of understand that, yes, there is a Tom Cruise mavericky character who has got something to prove because of something in his past. And he is being shuttled with missions. The thing that I took away from watching the gameplay is that it's basically episodic. They could have done better by making this a syndicated TV series because it's just mission after mission after mission. And his first mission is that he's got to take something encoded and fly it to the Tiger Claw. I don't know why they can't just give it to the Tiger Claw directly, but I'm sure there was a lot of jargon to explain that. It was a security thing. They were afraid of hackers. They didn't want the message to be intercepted. So they couldn't send it to the ship. 
So they could send it to a ship on the way to the ship. Right, that they didn't trust because it was filled with half-breeds. <laughs> on a dat mini-disc, you know? I mean, it's... Yes, I get Yeah, the way information is conveyed here, handheld, we got to bring this chip to you. It's, yeah, this is the future. This is 2654. Sure. And the data is on a mini CD. Remember those? I used to record those back in 2005 when I interviewed Sam Jackson. Yeah, those. Remember the mini CDs that were in, like oh, the yeah. cartridges? I can't believe they thought those would still be around in the 27th century. All right. Now, here's my confusion. I don't know if Paladin ship is a merchant vessel or a military vessel. In fact, they call Paladin, who is from the game, it was John Rhys Davies' character, they call him Commodore, so he has a military rank, but yet they act like he's nothing until at the end of the movie, he's like, well, I am an intelligence officer, and I answer to the Admiral, and I have this, 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 so you will listen to me. He also has the Admiral's ring that's been in his family for generations. There's only one of them, and so if you carry that ring, you have the Admiral's full trust, and everybody knows of this ring. It's weird. So I don't know if Matthew Lillard and Freddie Prinze were going to the Tiger Claw anyway. They appear to be on the roster, like they're showing up as the new pilots. I don't know why anything is really happening the way it is. And everybody's looking out for Blair, because he is half a pilgrim. Paladin is taking care of him. He knows that Blair is going to have the super navigation capabilities to save their life when Maniac screws up and almost gets them killed. And the Admiral, when he has a secret message, he's going to trust this half pilgrim. It's just get to the school, right? If you're trying to do Top Gun or even Starship Troopers, the drama lies in the young pilots eyeing each other up and down and jockeying for being number one and creating rivalries and friendships. You don't need to establish all this other strata of admirals and people in other quadrants. And jumping quasars and all of that just start at the goddamn school and then they can graduate to the war after we establish who everyone is. But that's all we have. All we have is them talking in one room, going to another room, looking at something on a screen and talking about the threat of the Kulrathi. Which, I have to point out again, we have not yet seen. If we're not going to see the enemy, there's nothing much to do but sit around and talk about it for a while. But again, they could be training and just being becoming better pilots. We could find out that he has this magical gift to jump quasars. Is that in the game? There are jump points in the game, but there's no pilgrim, so there's no magical ability. And in fact, when you jump, you basically just fly to a point and it happens automatically. It looks like you get near a black hole and then you like use that to fold space and time or something. And I don't know what it is. It looked like a black hole on the computer monitor. And I thought maybe it was something in gameplay that I just didn't see. But it's not fun to watch. And it doesn't seem to have any particular skill set other than you just hit the button at the right time. This whole thing about the jump points and all that is completely made up for this movie. I'll give it this. I suppose you do want a little bit of a Chosen One, a little bit of a Luke Skywalker vibe around Freddie Prinze. I hate to tell you, but Freddie Prinze, you are no Mark Hamill, and I mean that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I understand what Roberts was going for. It is really poorly conveyed. And then we finally get to the ship. You know, it's a little bit of a bumpy ride, but now we're home. When I started Wing Commander 1, I'm on the Tiger Claw. I'm fighting with Angel and Hunter and Paladin and Maniac. I'm like, okay. Now we'll get some rhythm. We're going to get our Iceman, right? If you're going to do Top Gun or Starship Troopers, bring in the Val Kilmer. Bring in the Tim Robbins. You know, I'm just ready for that. And what we get is Angel, played by Saffron Burroughs, who is their wing commander. And they get off on the wrong foot because Blair thinks she's a grease monkey. It doesn't get any icier than Saffron Burroughs. She had a rep at this point. If you were watching art movies in the late 90s, she was in every film by Mike Figgis, who was just... He had a commercial breakthrough with Leaving Las Vegas, but most of the films that he made around this time were the height of pretension. And she just was his go-to girl and they were just awful films. She was awful in them. And she was just haughty. I mean, God knows that's her superpower here, too. She's just every scene she plays it like she yells at him for being in a jet fighter. And then you find out that she disowns the fighter that was in it before him, that he had died. And like, we don't even talk about dead people. They don't exist once you die. It's that callous in this school. Yeah, because so many people die that they don't want to be reminded of the dead, so they just never existed. We're never going to even acknowledge it. Yeah, what you're trying to set up is a romance from people that are denying emotions. So that's why it's so hot, and I guess that's why they got someone as ice cold as Saffron Burroughs, because I get they couldn't change Freddie Prinze, but wouldn't you get Sarah Michelle Gellar? Wouldn't you just get a youthful, fun teen presence to match him. Did you catch Sarah Michelle Gellar in this movie? Was she a cat? <laughs> she was a pinup on Freddie Prince's wall in his quarters on the Tiger Claw. I did not catch that. <laughs> and I'm not going back to look. I did see that they considered Minnie Driver for this role. And I think she might have been able to pull this off a little bit better because I can see what they're going for. The cold-hearted commander who's seen so much death and destruction and, you know, here comes the new guy and if nothing else, he may teach her to love or break through that rough exterior and find the love underneath of that, but it's not playing out that way. Oh, no, I get that that's the dynamic, but they've erred too much on the extremes. Freddie Prinze is just way too clownish and she's just way too old and brittle and I did not think it was going to be a romance between them. Because they have nothing there. They don't have a Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Top Gun chemistry at all. No. But that must have been what somebody thought they were getting in order to achieve this. And so then they get another mission. And I think it was a real mistake that everything is happening within 40 hours. You know, all these people are meeting within 40 hours and doing everything. I don't know why it takes 40 hours for the cat people to jump to Earth. We understand basically, and understands a loose term here, <laughs> they have a two-hour head start that there's no way that the human beings can catch up with the cat people because of a two-hour difference. And it's for these guys on this side of the quadrant to make up that two hours by holding up some catnip or something. I don't know how you stall the Kilrathi, but that's what they got to do. They need to get the message back to Earth. They can't transmit it. These are the closest people, even though they're behind. So you've got to try to get that message to Earth before the Kilrathi get there. But they have to fly there and not be noticed by the Kilrathi because they are one cruiser and the Kilrathi have superior forces in this quadrant. And this is where I really feel Chris Roberts lost his way. 
When I played Wing Commander the game, it was like a Star Wars movie in a video game. And the Star Wars movies were all dogfights and all aerial battles. Somehow, Chris Roberts decided, you know, I like that Hunt for Red October or that Down Periscope, so let's make a submarine movie with every single trait of a submarine movie. I feel like I could do a submarine movie retrospective. Let's include that Denzel one. But there's always the scene where everybody on the submarines trying to be quiet and the sonar's <laughs> coming. And there's always the scene with the depth charges and you've got to breach the hull. You know, in space, no one can hear you scream, but apparently they can hear you whisper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense in water with the way that submarines are designed. That makes absolutely no sense that they got to tiptoe around their giant death destroyer ship hiding on an asteroid because something flying nearby could hear them. That just, I don't need it to follow science. Like, I get that they just want to have a fun retro thing where there's gravity in space and they could drop bombs on things and it looks like they're just flying in the air of Earth. Okay, I'll go with that retro nostalgic thing, but this was just too far. That I could not buy. And it's unnecessary. I get it. You're trying to do an old war film, but you don't need to ape every cliche. Do something fresh. Do something in the game. People like these games. Why can't anything here be likable? Maybe it was budget, but what I liked in the games was aerial battles. There should have been some more of that. We do get a couple of them. Can you tell what's going on? I mean, in Star Wars, I'll give you this. The filmmakers never get me confused about what's happening. You understand because actors look up and they cut to the ship and just the way that it's put together with sound, performance, and visual effects, there is a visual storytelling that's happening that you're never in doubt of what you're looking at. Here, it's like I'm in the cockpit of a ship I've never seen before, and I don't know how anything works, and I'm just hitting buttons. <laughs> just hitting buttons. I'm not getting the stakes either. When they're out doing these dogfights, we do get some interior cockpit shots to show our heroes. We never see what's flying the enemy fighters, obviously, because they're not going to show us these cat people before they have to. But in the one scene where they go out and they fire their mission and they come back, for some reason, Lillard decides that they need to go back and kill some more ships for fun? All right. He gets the name Maniac because he does crazy stunts with it. And when they're ordered to go back, yeah, he wants to kill more bad guys. And he's there with Rosie, who's as crazy as he is. And so they decide to play chicken with a Kilrathi. And his antics cause the Kilrathi ship to crash into Rosie and she dies. Yeah, that's not Maniac. That's Fool. <laughs> it should be called Fool. That's just pranking and stupid Matthew Lillard shit that got her needlessly killed. And yeah, that we saw them egg each other on in bed. We saw them in earlier scenes. You know, the idea was it was going to happen. God knows they were even talking about how they were not going to talk about death. And, that was, you know, like they did everything but have a buzzard flying over her head. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was obvious that she was going to die. <laughs> it's painful that it has to be for such a stupid. Help me understand what happens. She kind of just crashes coming back onto the landing pad and rather than anyone walking up to the window and saying hey are you okay they just get a giant broom and sweep her <laughs> off it's actually like 
a plow. It's like a, a <laughs> yeah, like a snow plow. Yeah. And what's funny is Matthew Lillard's like, she's alive. I can see her. <laughs> she might have been. And the snow plow just <laughs> pushes her off. I mean, these people are they take that like once you're gone, you're dead to us really far. Because okay, the ship might be crashed, but she could be alive in that ship. You don't have to throw her in the trash compactor quite yet. You might want to get some vital signs, but nope. No, they just threw her overboard, so that means she's just floating in space if she's still alive. I just... <laughs> I, yeah. But yes, Matthew Lillard should feel like a piece of shit for having egged her into that stupid situation. And I do believe that he should be haunted by her death, which means he needs to save Freddie Prinze to redeem himself. They have a scene where a hole gets blown in the side of the ship and only Freddie Prinze is being sucked out. Everyone else <laughs> is just kind of standing there watching. It's funny because he's... He's not the only one sucking. Not quite how a vacuum works. <laughs> but yeah, they give that moment for Matthew Lillard to rescue his friend. And then Saffron Burroughs, you know, who's the paragon of self-help and improvement, comes in and being like, yeah, you're my favorite pilot. Now get your ass up. And then that plot is over. Matthew Lillard is just ready to fly again as maniac as he was before. Is it a trope in the video game to have bleeding head trauma throughout the game at any time? Because I feel like throughout this movie, every character at some point bangs their head on something and is bleeding from an open wound. It's a flight sim. You're flying. <laughs> you get shot. It explodes. Maybe you eject in time or maybe you don't. Stuart did get to see my 21 gun salute. Yeah, but David Sushit, who's like the BBC Perot, I know him from TV. Yeah, he's in here. For some reason, there's two people that all these ace pilots have to answer to. That these, There's Gerard, which is Jurgen Prochnow, who gets most of the condescending, you're a half-breed lines. And then there's this bald guy who is holding a picture of his gay lover that died in the Pegasus, <laughs> I think. Like, they had a friend of them, like, arm in arm, hanging out. I'm not making this up. No, yeah, I, I just don't know what they were trying to convey there. The guy from the beginning that lost the asteroid base took a snapshot with this bald guy that's now on the Tiger Claw, and I don't know whether that is playing into his decision. I don't know much because, yeah, he ends up with blood on his head and dying, too. Well, he was the traitor. Yeah, that entire cut subplot, the bald guy was the traitor. Okay, so his connection to the Pegasus base might have been that he was working with the Kilrathi that invaded. Yes. And maybe he had guilt and maybe it wasn't sexual. I don't know what, I just, I, I don't know why you just don't cut him entirely from this movie. Because the whole point that we need to understand is that the top brass don't like half-breed in their ranks. And we see, and we have every character really saying that again and again and again, but Freddy's not going to put away his cross. And eventually he's going to be asked to use his skills because his original captain, you keep calling him Paladin, but we didn't know that. He was Taggart up until he just decides, Hey, everybody, I have top secret military clearance and I actually outrank all of you <laughs> and takes over the whole show. <laughs> And in an effort to keep the movie moving along, he gives his secret passcode, and we actually get to see her plug that passcode in and wait for the input to come back. Like, come on, we get it. Let's keep it moving. Yeah, that's one thing that this movie is not good at, partly because visually they can't pull off the effects, and partly because I just think, to this man, the writing is about all the jargon and getting all the names in, and being able to say, you know, you gotta have the Navcom AI. Like, I don't know what that is, but they just keep saying it 
It's Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is the voice of the Navcom Merlin in this movie. What, what is a Merlin? Yeah, when they said, hey, Merlin, help me out here. Was that another pilot? No, it's a computer. Okay, god damn. I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> nothing is established. And so if you haven't played a game, you are lost Lost in space. All right. Merlin isn't in the game. The Navcom isn't a big part of the game. The game is a drama with space fights. Okay. So the game does not help with any of this, which is why I'm sitting in theaters and my heart is breaking. And I came to a realization. I understand. I'd already enrolled in my master's courses by this point. (laughs) I did it on the news that Chris (laughs) Roberts was directing. Mm -hmm. I had committed to a life course and it hits me. Computer programmers are very detail-oriented people. They get very in the weeds. That's what coding is. That's what you have to do. Right. They may not be the best people to write scripts. Or work with actors. Again, you're not necessarily having that interpersonal dialogue. All of these actors are giving us nothing. Maybe it's on them to come up with something if nothing's been written for them, but they feel like they're giving video game performances. I honestly think that any of them would be better served just being digitized and thrown in some game. Yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why programming and UI design are two separate job titles. I think what we're seeing here is... A whole lot of programming and not a lot of nice user interface. And just putting the money in the wrong places. Because Chris Roberts stood there and stamped his foot and said, we have to have the production designer from Titanic. They didn't have the money to give him anything to work with. So you had the greatest talent and he had to do something with paint and plywood and had nothing left for the kill Rafi. <laughs> well, he knew a lot about sinking ships and clearly that is what we're on here as we are <laughs> piddling towards some kind of climax that involves Freddie Prince jumping to Earth to tell them, hey, I just jumped to Earth and more ships are going to be coming one at a time. What have these cat people been doing <laughs> that is taking them one at a time and 40 hours to do what Freddie Prince beats them to do and they started by having the ai and he was like way in the back on some merchant ship all right here's what is confusing and i realized when writing the plot summary this is my third time seeing this film i saw it in theaters Mm. i was traumatized yeah when it came out on dvd i bought it because it was wing commander i needed yes i need to brainwash myself into thinking that this is as good as the game. And I went back and I'm like, it can't be as bad as I thought it was in theaters. And it was. I've never looked back except in my memory with hatred at this film, but I watched it this time and then writing the plot summary, I'm like, do you know the middle hour of this movie could be cut out? Because basically, the important things for this plot is Freddie Prince is given a CD He carries it to the Tiger Claw. Yeah. And then the Tiger Claw has to go and they attack a Kilrothi ship. It slows down the Kilrothi. They send some Marines onto their ship and find out where the Kilrothi are coming out. This helps because now you can have all of the Terran fleet aim their guns at the point where the Kilrothi are going to appear. Can I walk through that just one more time? To show you why I'm so confused by it. The Kilrothi didn't know how to go to Earth. So they go to the Pegasus base and they steal this thing called a Navcom AI. Yes. That tells them how to go to Earth. Yes. But nobody in Earth knows how the Navcom AI goes to Earth. Well... (laughs) (laughs) So 
wouldn't they just know, oh, they're coming the Navcom AI way and not need all of this horse shit running around with asteroids and people flipping and having everyone graduate from Top Gun? Yeah, I mean, they should know how to handle this and they should just be more prepared. Earth should have people monitoring it at all times if there's a jump to it from anywhere and there's killer cats in space. (laughs) It's a full movie. I could forgive it anything if it had one image that was worth looking at, but it's so ugly. (laughs) And that includes their money shot. I mentioned it earlier. They are the first movie... Not the first time anyone saw Bullet Time, but I think there were some Gap ads that had it before. Car ads, too. And they said that they knew it was an advertisement, but they were going to be one of the very first to do this in film. And The Matrix did it, like, right after and much better. Yeah, there's no comparison once you see it. You, they're only doing it so they can say they have the shot in there. There's It accomplishes nothing. Yeah, they didn't even figure out how to do it without the strobe light. <laughs> The things I'm seeing during this movie are starting to remind me of the criticisms I read from some people after they walked out of The Last Jedi. And it made me start to think, like, maybe they accidentally saw this movie instead of The Last Jedi. (laughs) They need a reality (laughs) check because I get it. You can be disappointed in anything. I mean, your expectations create an idea and then the reality doesn't match it. But this is bad whether you're a Wing Commander fan or have never heard of it before. If you've never seen a sci-fi movie, if we took someone from 100 years ago that had never seen (laughs) cinema before, a movie image and showed them this, they would be like, nah, we don't really like this camera shit. It's too derivative. Yeah. (laughs) I like my plays. Back to the opera. Well, anyway, I don't know. Is there anything that we say about this ending other than, yeah, Maverick gets his redemptive moment and then Kelly McGillis is saved from near death that they had this Titanic thing where you go on, my ship failed and it's for Paladin to go save her off camera. I think they ran out of money. Yeah. Yeah, it's the whole ending. (laughs) Is there any scene in a movie we've ever reviewed more pathetic than when Freddie Prince is looking around at his janky set and goes, I love this ship. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think Matthew Lillard's ugly cry is worse than that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> They're both incredibly ugly. But yes, I, I do think Matthew Lillard wins or loses, depending on how you slice that. And. They set up the gravitational anomaly at the beginning, and somehow, even though he's out of gas, Freddie Prinze can outpilot a Kilrathi cruiser into falling into this not-a-black-hole. Why couldn't they just have black holes? Couldn't you just say it's a black hole instead of this other gravitational anomaly? Mm-hmm. It is a black hole, and everything is falling into it. All right, let's not belabor the point. I mean, I never want to look back again. I want to jump away from this movie point as much as possible. But Justin Stewart, do you recommend Wing Commander? Justin. Uh, What can I say? (laughs) Like I said earlier, this whole franchise to me suffers from a generic name. You know, something a little more flashy might have caught me earlier and... I might have been playing these games and had a little bit of a reason to get excited for a movie version that I would ultimately be disappointed by, I guess. But yes, finally sitting down and watching this, I had no expectations. But the thing that struck me right away was how much visually they're just aping from all around them. I mean, there's scenes that look like they watched Alien and went and just reshot that. There's scenes that look like, you know, you guys brought up Babylon 5. 
You know, I mean, Deep Space Nine. Name the weekly Star Trek series that was going on around him, and it looks like that. Enterprise or Voyager? I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're trying not to be too blatantly Star Wars, but at the same time, it's all there. So an interesting story could have kept me watching this and entertained. You know, it's not always about good graphics and awesome special effects, but it didn't do either. So yeah, to me, Wing Commander can just stay back in 99 and I'll never be fooled into buying the re-release on the Blu-ray or DVD. Stuart, you know what? I think this is one of the best. When you take the flight simulator model and everything that I feel about how confusing and unfun they are to play, this movie brings that to vivid life on the movie screen. It's exactly how I feel watching this as playing the game. So in that respect, one of the best adaptations, but that's only because I fucking hate Wing Commander and every flight simulator. This movie is more than being garbage. I mean, that's evident to anyone. I literally don't know how the pieces connect. I can't assemble anything. I am in a console pushing buttons and I never know if I blew something up or if something happened, I don't know what I did. I sat through a movie. It was 110 minutes long and I don't know what happened, but it involves Saffron Burroughs and the She's All That cronies and hopefully they'll never be asked to fly again. I still love absolutely everything that came out of the Wing Commander franchise up until 1998. <laughs> the books did feel a little bit like homework to have to read. They weren't the best written, but they still had good stories, and that was a really fleshed out universe. It's hard to believe. They had toys, cartoons. It's really a massive franchise for seven years. I see why Hollywood went and said, you know what? You're filming with Hollywood actors. You got Biff and Luke Skywalker and Sala from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Alex from Clockwork Orange all up on this green screen. You're spending $8 million filming Wing Commander 4. Let's do a movie of it. How it could go so wrong is just marvelous. The fact that the same guy, I mean, he's not credited as the screenwriter, but Chris Roberts wrote the original script and obviously had influence on the story here. What happened? Did he doubt himself? Was it producer Todd Moyer? I mean, Todd Moyer did make Barbed Wire. And you know what? This movie, it reminds me of Barbed Wire in a lot of ways. An incoherent story, cheap sets... We should remind people, you're not talking about fencing. It's actually a movie called Barb Wire that had Pamela Anderson in it. I just assumed everybody knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume most people didn't know or don't need to know. And honestly, until this review, I thought Chris Roberts crawled into a hole and was never seen again because I couldn't find any interviews with the man. He had disappeared. I, it was only because of research that I did, some pretty deep digging, plus the help of a Wing Commander fan site that allowed me to find that he is a producer and he is still in Hollywood. He showed his face again after this film. Mm -hmm. And from what I've read, it's not all his fault. He needed more time. He really needed more money. If you're going to do a space opera adventure, gotta have the resources to do it. The other thing was, this was rushed into production. He had three months for pre-production. He wanted six or nine. That's why he never got to see the Kilrathi until they literally showed up on the set. <laughs> 
So, I mean, that just sounds, you could blame the director. Like, why did you allow the Kilrothi to be designed and you never saw them? But by the same token, Fox said, we gave you the money. We need this movie by November. <laughs> so this whole thing is a debacle. And it sullies one of my all-time favorite video games. I will always have fond, fond memories of being in the 90s and playing Wing Commander games. And check out that series. It's pirated all up on YouTube. You know, the cartoon series? So much better than this movie. So much better than this movie. I actually watched all 13 episodes. Other than the Space Viking, it's really cool. But I feel like Miss White in Clue. I'm just like, flames <laughs> in my face. I'm so upset. With Wing Commander. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone that would love this property would be happy to see where we're at. And this is a weird one. We have definitely seen Super Mario Brothers from the beginning. We've seen Hollywood didn't get it. And they made something that had nothing of the joy and love that you find in the game. For the game designer to not find any joy and love in his own creation independent of whatever might have been forced on him. It's not like Freddie Prinze ruined this or not having the money ruined this. This was ruined from the inset. It's from the first time he wrote Pilgrim. This thing <laughs> sucked. <laughs> and I just think that that is a new low for us to see that the guy that made fun games couldn't think of a fun movie. Yeah, it's shocking that he was able to write three-dimensional characters for a game and this was so bad. I just have to think, you know what? Being a podcaster and a vodcaster and going to all these things, I have had my fingers in a lot of productions. I've worked with Justin on an actual film. I have done quite a bit of audio and video stuff. And you know what? Every so often I get cocky and think, you know, <laughs> both of you know this. You were involved. Let's do an animated feature. <laughs> 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 that was a ladder that took a little bit of talking down from him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think the point you're leading to is that sometimes it looks easier said than done. That's what I'm going to do is I think he got overconfident and is like, hell, anyone can direct a film. I'm directing people for a game. And then when he got into Luxembourg, he realized all of a sudden, and you know what he even said? And this is a very telling quote. He was a big shot in the video game industry. And so when he wanted stuff, people made it happen. But when he entered the film industry, he was a nothing. He was the low man on the totem pole, even though he was the director. He was being eaten alive by the people under him and the people above him. He got out of his depth. This is the result. He survived, and I'm happy for him. I still admire the guy for making that leap from games to film. He did influence my life in very positive ways. I have no regrets about the life choice I made, other than paying $7 to see Wing Commander in theaters. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we're taking a break from video games. I can say that for sure. I don't know if I'm excited for Deadpool 2 and Solo, but that's what we're doing for the next couple weeks. And then we're going back to what many people have assured me is one of the great video game movie adaptations, Mortal Kombat. Great. Listen, don't, don't, I mean, let's, it's not Schindler's List. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> let's not go too high here. I'm going to say fun. Yes. That's what I mean by great. Like people actually have a good time sitting in front of it. Like that's great at this point. I haven't had that yet. 
If you mean characters taken from the video game and put onto a screen, yes, that's our bar. <laughs> yeah, but great. I mean, yeah, we're I, reviewing the Godfather films recently. Great has a special meaning, yeah. and I don't want you to go in thinking that you're going to see greatness. But we've discussed now a video game I hold very dear in love and a movie that I hate out of it. And now we're going to a movie that I really hold dear, but I haven't seen in a decade, and a video game that I'm really kind of cold on. I never got into the Mortal Kombat games, loved this Mortal Kombat movie. Oh yeah, and I, I love playing the game, so it'll be fun to revisit that one. It'll be fun to kick your ass when we play it online before the review. Oh yeah. And if you want an entirely different kind of movie experience, Platinum Donors will be getting Serpico. <laughs> we are covering Al Pacino's career as both a gangster in the gold level and as a cop in the platinum level. And certainly one of his most famous roles. Probably should have gotten the Oscar for it. One for Sin of a Woman. Urgh. But Serpico. And that is our movie this Friday for Platinum Donors. Because we have absolutely no knowledge of what consistency of tone is on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wing Commander, Serpico, sure, same thing. Al Pacino, Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> yeah, what's the difference? We're casting a wide net. <laughs> yeah. We hope you'll join us then. Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me on this trip through memory lane, though. It's been a blast to finally... I feel lighter like i've been holding this weight on me since 1999 i feel like i've let it go like this has been some kind of confessional i feel better i never have to look at this piece of shit movie again which is good because it's hard to find you know it's not available to stream it's not available on blu-ray i had yeah. to find like an out of print dvd <laughs> and strangely there was no commentary or bonus features they wouldn't even give this guy an extra week for a kill rothy scene they give him nothing <laughs> You do not get to talk over your movie. <laughs> I've got the commentaries track right here. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Until next time, game over. Let me give you a reality check. In all likelihood, you're going to die out here. We're all going to die out here, but none of us need to be reminded of that fact. So you die, you never existed. Understand? Yes, ma'am. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Better than sex. Bullshit. Better than sex with myself. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. I mean, that's not bad for the second best part of the Academy. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, The Wizard, Doom, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, Super Mario Brothers, The King of Kong, Tomb Raider, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Rampage, and more. But did you, did you just do that to impress me? I'm just trying to redirect some of that testosterone. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. If you say so, Captain. I do say so, Mr. Taggart. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. So what about my needs? Well, I'm all about your needs, sir. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is that a suggestion or an order, ma'am? Definitely an order. 
You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Let's make our miracle. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. See how together I love this baby! You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. We are the Earth's only hope. We need to buy our fleet two hours. If you enjoy Now Playing, please head to iTunes and leave us a five-star listing. It's the best way to help spread the word about the podcast. Does everyone here think I go around making suggestions? If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Confed Fleet, do you read? You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Now I'm going to show you how to make friends. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. He knows this space better than any man alive. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Bang, you're dead. Not fast enough. Now Playing Credits, read by Brock. Your friend always is talkative. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Now change the subject quickly, pal, before I change it for you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. If you endanger another pilot, you're dead. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Don't you ever play that stupid game with me. You hear me? Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Out! You get out! Get out! Get out! Out! Jeez! Starring Freddie Prince Jr., Saffron Burroughs, Matthew Lillard, Checky Caro, Checky Caro, Jurgen Pers- Jurgen Prochnow. <laughs> Is that right? Prochnow? I don't know. I'm just really enjoying this right now. I'm enjoying it more than the movie. Is you just slaughtering these names? Uh, Jurgen Prochnow, you were pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Jurgen Prochnow. The Alien versus Predator comics and all the other stuff that Dark Horse did. Great movies. Yep. And. 
Again, <laughs> the mask and barbed wire. Terrific. Love them. Well, you do love Alien. <laughs> they had nothing to do with that. <laughs> well, I just said he did the Alien comics. Okay. The comics were good. I'm talking about the Alien versus Predator comics at Dark Horse he did. Yeah, those were bad. The movies were bad. The comics were... were... Eh, well, yeah, all right, yeah, all right, fine. The first couple issues of the of the Alien yeah, comic were cool. Arnie, you kind of look like Chris Roberts. <laughs> Thank you. He wants to. He, that's what he's been working for his whole life. They knew, but when they were asking for more money, they were asking to go back and redo anything involving the Kilrathi. Just refilm those scenes and give those enemies something better than what they had. <coughs> Can I have more funding for my lungs, please? <coughs> He's allergic to bad cat puppets. I actually am <laughs> allergic to cats. <laughs>